Hello everybody, this week's parasha is Parashas Kisisa. And the parasha begins with Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu that if he ever wants to count the Jewish people, if he ever wants to take a census, he has to use the system of the machtes shekel of the half shekel. That every Jew has to give a half shekel, and you're not allowed to count the Jewish people. And the Pasuk says, this way, If you use the half shekel, then there won't be a plague amongst the Jewish people when you count them. And Rashi explains, why does counting Jewish people kind of per person and not through the half shekel, why does that cause, God forbid, a plague? Rashi says, because through counting the ayin hara, the evil eye, is able to be shaylet, is able to take a grasp of the Jewish people. And the Rebbeinu B'chai and others explain what Rashi means is as follows. We all know that personal attention is a great thing. A kid always wants personal attention from his parents, every spouse you know, wants personal attention from their spouse, wants them to put down their phone and just look at them and talk to them. But sometimes personal attention is not always so great. For example, if the IRS gives you personal attention, or if a police officer kind of pulls you over to the side of the road and gives you personal attention, it's not so great because when there's judgment, when there's midas hadin, you kind of want to be one of the group. You want to get kind of blend in. You don't want personal attention. So, Klai Yisrael as a whole is always considered good. Klai Yisrael has a lot of milas, Klai Yisrael has a lot of positive attributes, and every person's faults get blended and filled in by the overall Klai Yisrael's good side. However, when a person takes himself out and he makes himself independent from Klai Yisrael, he's Pairish Menat Sibur, he separates himself from the rest of the congregation, then he's judged on his own and all his faults come out glaring, and that can cause Chas Shalom Midas Adin. So when we count Klai when we count each person separately, we seem to break apart Klai on a certain level. And we make it a group of individuals. And that can cause Chas Shalom Magefa. It's only when Klai blends together. When there is one, can they be protected from the Ayin Hara, from things that cause problems. And Chaim Shalavis points out that it's specifically... The half shekel that was given in this parasha was used to make the adonim, to make the bottom silver portions of the beams of the mishkan. It means the walls of the mishkan were held up by these silver boxes that the wood would get inserted into, and that was the foundation of the mishkan. And he explains because Klal Yisrael as a whole has the ability to create a place of Hashra's Hashkina. Klal Yisrael as a whole has the ability to create a place that Hashem Baruch would want to come and rest. In this world, and it has to be that every person gives the same amount. No one can give more, no one can give less. There has to be one level of the Mishkan. The foundation of the Mishkan has to be a place where there's complete achdus. Every Jew is involved, every Jew is involved in the same level, and that's how we can start to build a Mishkan upon that. So, something to keep in mind that the more we connect to Klai Yisrael, the more we become one with the rest of Klai Yisrael, the more we're protected from any kind of midas adin and the more we're able to bring in Hashem's presence, which obviously comes with all kinds of blessings. Hashem tells Moshe that every Jew should give kizeh yitnu, like this, like this coin shall they give. And the Yishami explains, what does it mean Hashem saying this? Hashem actually pointed to a matbeya, a coin of fire, and showed it to Moshe Rabbeinu and said specifically this is what the Jewish people should give as machsis shekel. And the Mepharshim will ask, we know that by the Menorah, Hashem had to show him a Menorah of fire because Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't understand exactly how the Menorah is supposed to look and how it's possible to be made out of a block of gold. But 
when it comes to a half shekel coin, it doesn't seem to be something super complex. What was Moshe Rabbeinu struggling with that Hashem had to show him a matbeah shalash? And the Mepharshim explained that the question Moshe Rabbeinu had wasn't how it looks. Moshe was having a much bigger question. He didn't understand how is it that by giving a piece of silver, a person could give pidya nafsha, a person could redeem his soul by giving a piece of silver. How does a piece of physicality help a person's spiritual existence? How does it redeem his soul? And that, says HaKadosh Baruch to Moshe, is that in every time a person gives some of his physicality, a person gives some of his money or some of his silver, it's not just the silver he's giving. There's a whole other aspect to it. There's another half of the half shekel, and that is the fire that's involved. Is a person enthusiastic about giving it? Is a person inspired? Is a person happy to do it? Is there what's known as his slavos? If a person gives a half shekel, but he gives it not just a piece of cold silver, he gives a matbeya shalish, he gives it with a fire, then he can get pidya nafshe. And that's the Karsh Baruch Kazeh Yitnu. They should give like this. That's what they have to give. They have to give silver, but they have to give it with a smile. They have to give it with enthusiasm. And then it can truly give them a pidya nafshem. The Briskarov used to always tell his children and his family members, whenever they would give tzedakah, he says, the Rambam writes, and it's brought in Shulchan Aruch, that it's not enough to just give some tzedakah. A person has to give it with saver panim yafas. He has to smile at the, at the person he's giving it to. He has to show them that he wants to give them the money. And a person has to do it with the full burn, the full enthusiasm that he wants to do the mitzvah, and then a person can truly fulfill the mitzvah of tzedakah. So, you know, a lot of times people come around shuls collecting, or people knock at our doors, and, you know, there's a question, could we afford to give them, could we not afford to give them, how much could we give them? But once a person's decided that he's going to give this person money, let's do it all the way. Don't wait till he comes to you and look up at him and give him this dirty look like, oh gosh, you here again? Smile, go over to him maybe, maybe even walk across the shul and give him the money and smile at him, and show him that you actually care about his problem, that you want to help. Again, this is all you can do. You can't give a massive donation. But whatever you could give, give it with the fire, give it with that Mabeya Shalesh, and then it could truly be played in Nafsha. It can actually redeem our souls and improve us spiritually as well. Maishra Rabbeinu is up in Shemayim, and Akash Varko tells him some bad news. Maishra Rabbeinu, Lechred Kishiches Ancha, go down, because your nation has sinned. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, he sees that Kla Yisrael did the Chet Egel, and then says to Tyre that Moshe Rabbeinu dropped the Luchas, he smashed them. And all of the Farshim ask, what happened when Moshe Rabbeinu saw? Why only then did he break the Luchas? Hashem told him what happened, so right then and there he should have broken the Luchas. Why did he wait till he saw them actually partying by the Egel? So some of Farshim explained, that the issue was that Moshe Rabbeinu knew Klaisel sin, but when he saw how they were dancing, he saw how much how they were excited about the Chet Egel, then he realized that it would take a very, very long road to recovery, and the Luchas had to be broken. Other Mepharshim explained that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to drive the point home to Klaisel. He needed to create that effect by smashing the Luchas in front of them that would shock them into re- kind of realizing how severe their sin had been. But... The Bali Musters say that really the question, it doesn't take into full account the human nature. When we say the concept, you can't compare seeing to hearing. It's not that people don't believe what they hear. 
It's not that people don't trust what they hear. A person can tr- hear something from a Kodesh Baruch like Moshe Rabbeinu, and he can know by Amun Shalema that's what's happening. He doesn't doubt it for a second. But a human being, the way he's created, is that his emotional state, his emotions, they're not triggered until he experiences something. And the way he, most people experience something is through seeing it. And that's what happened. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he actually saw it, it shook him up and he threw down the luchas. And that, say the Bali Musr, is a person's job in this world is to take the things that he knows to be true and to visualize them and to make them have an effect on him through living them and experiencing them. When a person knows that if he does an Avera, he goes to Gehenna, it's one thing. When a person visualizes that that Muktza item on Shabbos, if I touch it, I'm going to get burnt. It's a boiling hot pot. If I touch it, my hand's going to burn. It's a very different experience and it has an emotional effect on a person. Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer, Rabbi Yitzchak of the, uh, the Talmud of Rishos Salanter, he used to go during El to courtrooms to watch people sitting in a court case because he wanted to know and experience what it feels like to be in a court, to be judged. And that way, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, he can really feel it. And that's what a person really has to do. The more a person can visualize and experience things, the more it takes effect upon him and the more it changes his emotional reaction. Moshe Rabbeinu comes down and Yeshua hears him. Yeshua says, Vayishma Yeshua as kol ha'am bara. And Yeshua heard the nation. He heard the noise, but he didn't know what it was. He thought it was a war going on. He was living outside waiting for Moshe to come down from Arsina. He didn't know what that noise coming from the camp was. He didn't realize. But the Targum Yenus of Ben Uziel, because it's an interesting translation, he says, what does it mean, Vayishma Yeshua as kol ha'am bara? says the Targum that he heard them being miyavev bechedva, wailing with joy. We know the word yabava is what we refer to as a shofar, as a yabava, a language of wailing. So the woman first can understand what does the target answer mean that they were wailing with joy? Wailing usually connotes sadness. So why were they wailing with joy? So the Biruchim, the Mashgiach of Mir, used to say, he said that once someone becomes from, once a person becomes. He gets access and he finally starts to, you know, taste what it means to be a growing person and have tasting Torah and Ruchnius. Such a person, whether or not he'll make it to Elam Haba, that's his choice. That's his struggle throughout life. But one thing is sure, he'll never properly enjoy Elam Haza the way he used to. Because once he has access to that, what it means to be living a real life, a proper life, when he sits there and does a virus and tries to enjoy Elam Hazah for the sake of Elam Hazah, his body rejects it, his nefesh that's inside him, it knows this isn't where it's supposed to be. And that's why Kaisra was wailing with joy. They had Harsina, they knew what life's about, and they couldn't properly enjoy the Chet Egel. They were trying to enjoy it, and they were trying to do the most they can, but they just... It wasn't going properly. So they were wailing with joy. Roshan Pinkus was once walking with his son past a, ca- uh, a nightclub or a bar in Tel Aviv, whatever reason why he was walking there. He, his son asked him, why are they laughing so much? There's so much noise and everyone's yelling. And he said, because they're so sad. They're so sad. So they're trying so hard to become happy and they're fighting with this internal struggle. And unfortunately, it's a reality, which we've all unfortunately have experienced at some point or another, is that once you know the truth, your nefesh never really lets you enjoy an Avera the same way it used to. I want to end off with one last part. Klai Yisrael is standing, and they tell him to Aaron, and they tell him, Aaron, Kizem Moshe Ish, 
This man, Moshe, we don't know what has happened to him. And that was the beginning of the Chet HaEgel, when they thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was no longer there. And the Mepharshim, the Gemara, really explains, what is the language of Kizeh, this man, Moshe? So Rashi brings the Gemara that says that the Satan showed them an image of Moshe Rabbeinu's bed, his, his coffin, so to speak, floating in Shemayim, and they, they were led to believe that Moshe Rabbeinu had died. So the question that really comes is that if Kleisrol was given this image by the Satan of Moshe Rabbeinu's death, what did they do wrong? How were they supposed to not fall for it? They saw Moshe Rabbeinu's dead, so okay, they have to make a new leader, and then things got out of control. But there was an image of Moshe Rabbeinu in Shemayim. So the altar of Kelm explains that this really is, a, is the, one of the most fundamental struggles that every Jew is faced with in life. A Jew has a seichel, he has a mind, and a Jew is supposed to build what's called foundation. Yesidus. A person is supposed to sit and think through life and come to certain kind of maskanas, certain resolutions and convictions that this is what I have to do in life, this is my, my, my role, this is my goal, this is what's right, and this is what's wrong. Klai Yisrael had Har Sinai, they saw Hashem talking to Moshe Rabbeinu, they saw with clarity on the level of Nevoah, and they reached the convictions of Nasev and Nishma, and they realized that Hashem is the one, and he talks through Moshe, and they reached a certain level of clarity, this is what has to be done. Then, the Yetzirah is given incredible powers. He can create all kinds of imagery, he can create all kinds of questions, which are truly burning questions, which... A person doesn't know the answers to always in life. But a person is tasked, HaKadosh Baruch Hu demands from us, that if we reach the level of conviction, if we know what's right, just because a question arises, just because there's things in life we don't understand, we don't just throw out everything we believed in. We're supposed to stick to our convictions, stick to what we believe in. And yes, there's questions, and at some point, the answers will come. A day later, Moshe Rabbeinu will come down, and we'll see what happens. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, told Moshe to tell Klai Yisrael, I'm going up for 40 days and I'm going to come back down. And there's a picture of Moshe Rabbeinu's body up in Shemayim. I don't know. I don't know why that's like that. But Moshe Rabbeinu talks to Hashem and Hashem gave us a promise that he's going to give us a tiger through Moshe. It doesn't make a difference what I'm going to see. I have my convictions. I know what's right. And I stick to them no matter what questions may arise. And that's a task of a Jew in this world is that yes, it's things in life we don't understand. We don't know why the wicked, why the Rishayim have so much power. We don't know why they're having such a good time and why good people suffer sometimes. There's a lot of very strong questions that you don't know the answers to. But a Jew's obligation is to stick to what he knows to be right despite the questions and to believe and to know that at some point the answers will become clear and everything will become understood at some point. We should all have a wonderful Shabbos and be zeichet to see all the Yeshua's and brachas that we need and all the answers that we want to know at some point.